This is Storage Unpacked. Subscribe at storageunpacked.com. This is Chris Evans with another Storage Unpacked podcast here at Flash Memory Summit 2022. Now, this afternoon, uh, towards the end of the event, I'm joined by Chris Miller. Hello, of, people. Now, would you would you say register, blocks and files, all those things? I'd say blocks and files first and register second. Perfect. Okay, so blocksandfiles.com. If anybody, God, no, I'd be amazed if they didn't, but if anybody doesn't, doesn't know. Now, we sort of thought we'd do something towards the end of this week, simply because, well, we didn't really know what was coming up at the beginning of the week. <laughs> Seems like an obvious comment, I suppose. <clears throat> But actually, this, the idea is really just to have a look back and think, well, what did we see? What did we like? What did we think was interesting? Um, so initial thoughts, Chris, what do you think about the event this week? Three things. CXL springs out. The sudden spread in type of SSD is a second flavor of it. And the third flavor of it, for me, is just the vibe from the event, which was it's a community working towards the fulfillment of the possibilities of Flash and a community working together. And I don't get that at other trade shows like VMware or Dell EMC. Yeah, it's it's different because obviously this isn't really an, an event where it's um, got many end users as such. It's not like an end user no. show. It's more like, a, um, I guess, a, an internal trade show for want of a better description, which doesn't really sort of sort of makes sense. But I guess you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, it's not so much end users here, although there probably are some but it's component suppliers, main suppliers, and people around the edges of that. Yeah. Uh, the, the show floor, for example, isn't massive, but if you look at it, you know, you see all the vendors that you would expect. The only one I didn't see, I didn't see Micron. Micron didn't have a stand. No, did I didn't see Micron, but I did see Western Digital, who had part of their stand advertising disk drives, and another part of it being totally blank, which was weird. But although it wasn't as large as some trade shows, it was busy. Yes. And the small stands were well populated, as well as the big ones at the front. I thought altogether the trade show worked very well. Yeah, I think I saw something earlier that said about 3,000 people attended. I think previously they might have got as high as four, but I think it was about three, mm. uh, which is, you know, fair enough for such a, a very niche sort of topic. Now, let's talk about some of the things that, you know, we liked and disliked or, you know, what we actually thought. CXL, I mean, everybody, everybody's talking about CXL. Everybody indeed is talking about CXL. And it's... Strange at the Flash Memory Summit that everybody's keen on DXL and it's memory pooling, it's DRAM pooling, which is an irony, but there it is. Yeah. And no doubt Flash will get pooled as well, but CXL2 and memory pooling is almost taken as a given. Applications are going to get access to petabyte scale memories over the CXL then. Yeah, I saw two things really. I saw, I saw First of all, I saw a number of people doing the memory extension, shall we say, by basically putting DRAM onto a card, onto a CXL interface to extend the amount of DRAM you have in a server. But I think Marvell had on their stand uh, an actual pooling solution where they had two servers, both of which were through some sort of Heath Robinson cable connected to uh, devices which were in a separate chassis, and that was more like a memory pooling thing. But it wasn't really an app that was running that. They were sort of demonstrating, look, we can pool the memory, but... I couldn't see like a real application they were running on that. Memverge was here and spent a whole day sponsoring a whole day session about the possibilities for its memory pooling software running with CXL. 
and delivering benefits to applications such that the applications didn't have to change their interface to DRAM. Mm -hmm. Memverge's software just runs underneath and provides a great abstraction layer, and you get the feeling that that company could be on the cusp of a rising wave of some significant size. Yeah, now they, they're interesting because up until probably last week when suddenly Intel decides Optane is now um, getting the chop, you know, the Grim Reaper has stepped in and, and sliced, <laughs> sliced the head of Optane away. Um, up until that point, Memverge spent a lot of time talking about Optane and how they could use Optane in their products. And now suddenly they've had to think, think but, again. But I'm keen on this stuff. Interrupting tendency alert. Um, people started talking for the first time in my hearing about tiered memory. Right. About different grades of DRAM. So you still have tiering, but Optane's not there anymore. And just maybe there was this quiet confidence that the DRAM manufacturers could produce faster and faster DRAM by increments and nibble away at the bottom of the Optane territory in terms of speed. Yeah. Yeah, I think the sort of memory tiering thing has sort of been there a little while because obviously you could put Optane into a machine in a DIM format and then. The BIOS has to know about how to manage that. You needed to have Xeon support with uh, third generation Xeon, I think, yes. from memory. Um, the scalable processors. Sapphire Rapids. Um, no, I don't think it's the Sapphire Rapids. That's the, I think that's the fourth generation. So I think it was the generation previous. Ice Lake. Um, but in any event, you couldn't just put that into a, an, any old server. Now, <clears throat> looking forward, theoretically, you know, air quotes and all that sort of thing. CXL as a memory extension using something, whether it would be Optane or not, could potentially be on an AMD processor, could be on an ARM processor, wouldn't have to be Intel. And I do think Intel shot themselves in the foot by making Optane a, um, you know, an, an x86 Intel processor only. Looking back, that seems to me to be just arrogant, stupidly complacent, and telling people they had to do what Intel wanted. It restricted Intel's market, and it was just dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah. And now Intel will face the consequences of that, because people will get vast memory pools, whether they're on x86 processors or not. And they'll get faster SSDs, storage class memory type SSDs, whether they're on Intel processors or not. The, the silly people have shot themselves in the foot big time. And it doesn't have to necessarily be core CPUs either, of course. Let's think about the fact that CXL could be connected to GPUs, could, could be connected to other acceleration um, devices. So now you don't necessarily have to look at the, the core CPU being the fastest, most superb um, machine, you know, or rather processor in that machine. Um, it could be something like an ARM processor, or it could be something else. And as a result, I think Intel's dominance is diminished. You're, absolute <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, one of the interesting companies here was Neuroblade. Oh, yes. yes so they yes, produced yes. dedicated processors for carrying out SQL database query instructions. And they speed them up enormously. Yep. And they're talking about having their Xiphos box, their 4U chassis, connected by CXL. Mm. It's got memory in the front. It can share that memory with accessing servers. Bingo, job done. Lovely idea. And that's an interesting one because that sort of talks to this idea of almost like, re like building bespoke, um, let's call it analytics engines, database engines, whatever you want to call it, but basically um, like proper, going back to proper constructed 
solutions that are engineered like an oracle exadata yeah exactly that sort of thing or the old Dell EMC Cisco idea of a converged infrastructure system, a CI system, which is the same thing, just happens to be two or three suppliers involved in doing it. Yeah. But it's basically one box. I, th I think the what that's showing is that when we look across the board, there's a challenge here in the sense that in the old days when we separated out our components and we had servers, networking, storage teams, and all that sort of stuff, although that went away to a certain degree with virtualization because you didn't need that, Actually, what we did do was we started to introduce things like issues with latency and so on, which probably then didn't really matter that much. But now we're getting into super low latency, super high throughput. We're talking microsecond connectivity. Now those systems are having to come back together and converge in order to get that degree of next level performance. I think what you're saying is that in the old days, the converged infrastructure days, the Oracle Exadata machine days, the basic unit of storage was the disk drive. And that gave you the headroom mm -hmm. while the data was coming from the disk to do other stuff. But with SSDs, that headroom's gone away. You've got to be faster. The whole system's got to be faster from end to yep. end. And that's putting a lot of pressure on system designers to work that out. Absolutely. So that, that was very interesting to see. Now, across the board, I think we saw a lot of PCIe 5 SSDs. That seems to be flavor of the month. Mm -hmm. No surprise. Everybody's sitting there hoping... Well, they were hoping Sapphire Rapids might be available at the end of this year. It looks like potentially that might push into 2023. But obviously, everybody's bringing out products in advance of that, ready to be able to talk about them and say, oh, well, here we go. <clears throat> I'm not sure, is that just incremental, do you think, in terms of what, what we've seen? Or do you think there's a bit more to that? I'm not really sure. I think PX, PCIe 5 is the enabler for CXL2. And PCIe 6 will be the enabler for CXL3, which will allow for shared memory between many servers. The, the, you just get the impression, sorry, I just get the impression that we've got two or three streams of activity, the PCIe, CXL, faster NAND, faster servers, all converging in this area of 2023, 2024, when suddenly we'll have this burst out of very large memories and multi-core servers able to keep themselves busy because the data will be shipped into memory fast enough and into large enough memories to keep those cores active. Mm. It's going to be wonderful. Well, <laughs> maybe it's just that evolution we see every every sort of few years. Um, and even now, there's still sort of a, a natural barrier, shall we say, to evolution that comes from being dependent on Intel shipping their next generation architecture. Mm -hmm. And until they do, and until Intel ship that, and for example, they move from PCIe 4 to 5, uh, they bring in the next version of memory, so we get DDR5. Until the processor shift and the um, architecture around that moves on, everything else sort of seems to linger and linger and be ready for it. And Intel are really pushed into a position of having to move things on you know, they become a dependency to the market, shall we say. Yes. There are two countervailing trends to Intel's slowness, I see. One is AMD, and the other is the ARM processor group. Mm. So with the ARM adoption by the main hyperscalers, that is absolutely terrific. I'm sure that's going to pave the way for enterprises to start using ARM servers on-premises. And as soon as that happens, with the ARM processor ecosystem designers working away, I think we'll see a flowering of faster and faster systems. Now, <clears throat> now, now talking about ARM, I, I know we're sort of diverging away from what the show's showing us so far today, but I do have an interesting sort of angle to that. And that's, if you think about 
if you think about an x86 um, platform, today you have x86 as the core, and then connected to that you've got um, memory uh, channels, which will have, say, DDR4, DDR5 memory on there. And then for peripherals, you've then got PCIe, and that's now moving from 4 to 5. So it's quite easy to map out the um, the ecosystem that sits around us. You know. But what is that for ARM? Well, it's, it's, I, I'm coming at that from a slightly different angle, which is with the sort of proliferation we're going to get, we are getting in processors, like AI-specific processors, GPUs, yeah. Neuroblade database query-specific processors, and so forth, the classic server design just falls away. Mm -hmm. And with different types of memory, the classic memory is memory is memory falls away as well. So at the moment, everybody's on DDR4 and ship starting to move to DDR5. That's not necessarily going to be the case. GPUs are already starting to use high bandwidth memory. Yep. And who's to say what types of memory these intermediate processors like the AI processors the, the database query process, what kind of memory they use. They're all got very clever hardware engineers working away in their organizations, and they're not necessarily going to want to wait for what Intel does. Yeah, it's, it's very much a um, diversification of the market. I think you know, we're seeing it split up and bifurcate, trifurcate, whatever you want to say, in lots of different directions. And that's, I think, both interesting and both a challenge, because up until now, or at least for the last however long, say 10, 20, 25, 30 years maybe, um, probably 20 years, I would say, is a reasonable amount. Intel and x86 are sort of dominated in the server market. You know, we had lots of other architectures mm. like Solaris and uh, the Spark um, Titanium. And Itanium and everything else. But, and they've effectively mostly fallen by the wayside to the dominance of x86. And perhaps we might be sitting here this, this um, event looking at an inflection point thinking, I wonder if Intel will be the dominant technology in a few years' time. It's got a question mark over it. Mm. It really does have a question mark over it. Um, another side effect of this bifurcation or trifurcation, a general disaggregation of the, the conventional server architecture, is this show has seen a variety of SSD types come out. Mm -hmm. We've got Ethernet SSDs, we've got smart SSDs, yes. we've got computational storage SSDs. We've got CXL connected SSDs. We've got 128 terabyte archive SSDs. That's five ones, quite separate from the standard SSD. Yeah, yeah, and also technology to how to help improve the performance going forward of SSDs from a company called Neo. This is absolutely fascinating. What they effectively they do, as far as I can understand it, is to cut. SSD dies into smaller blocklets. Yes. So each one can be accessed on its own independent plane, meaning you get a degree of parallel parallelization, if I can say if it that's properly. a word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also you can have different classes of service to different areas of the SSD. Yeah. You can manage the whole thing more carefully in a more granular fashion so you increase its endurance. Speed, better endurance, what's not to like about this? Yeah, I had an interesting chat with the CEO earlier on today and he wouldn't say whether any vendors are actually using their products yet, which was I thought was interesting. He wouldn't confirm or deny. He was a bit like a, the old CIA. I can neither confirm or deny that anything you know is in in the wild yet. But what it what he did sort of intimate is all those things you just said, Chris. In that you know potentially you could divide up the planes and use the planes in different ways. You could potentially use this as a, a bridgehead to to make uh, PLC be more practical and usable. So. 
because now you've got more um, ability to, like you said, write to different parts of the diet, different times, and create different streams to different parts of it. So, so he didn't, he wouldn't sort of give me any clue as to who was doing what, but we could start to see the emergence, I guess, of a reasonable way to manage the challenges of PLC as well as producing high performance. So it's not just, I don't think it's going to all be about let's produce a higher performance SSD. It's about how to produce a scalable and a, a great capacity SSD. Four or five years ago, Nimbus produced a 100 terabyte SSD. Yes. Toshiba, the pre-Kyoxia days, had an 85 terabyte SSD they were promising to bring to market. Well, neither of them were spectacularly successful at all. But now we've got a 128 terabyte QLC SSD from Samsung. Well, imagine that with PLC flashing it. Yep. And imagine something like Neo software licensed by Samsung, used by Samsung, to carve that up logically into different blocks, to manage it differently, to maybe lay out an SLC cache in part of it, which is dynamic, yep. and suddenly you've got a multi-tiered SSD. You could well have. And why wouldn't you want it if it was 100 terabytes or 200 terabytes in size? You may, you know, we, we, I've got an issue there where the... I guess, with, like with anything, you, you don't really want to put just one SSD into any sort of technology for a start, number one. You know, you, you've got to have a degree of resilience, so you need replication, you need RAID-ish or erasure coding or something like that. So one device is never going to suit. Now, if you've got 100 terabytes of one type of flash, that's just too much in one go. So the ability to carve a device up into multiple types now becomes quite attractive, and then you have multiple types carved across. And if you can then go into a degree of dynamic uh, provisioning with that, you've now got the ability to, you know, we're, we're going blue sky here, right into the, uh, the stratosphere, we're making this up on the fly, but you know, you could at some point imagine a device that becomes very dynamic. So now rather than put in specific SSDs for a specific purpose, why not just put in a rack of SSDs that can be anything from SLC you to VLC. You virtualize the flash. You it's software enabled You virtualize the flash and software. So now, so now the, the device could have a capacity anything from 20 to 100 terabytes, depending on how it's configured. It's software set. Yeah, but you do it dynamically. Now, if, if you could get to that, that would be an incredibly powerful device. And that, you know, that the sort of technologies we've just been talking about might not only be enablers for that, but they might be enablers for that sort of level of dynamic stuff. Let me play that one back to you to see if I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. So let's imagine we've got a 150 terabyte raw PLC SSD, and we use software to carve it up into three zones. We could mm -hmm. have an SLC landing zone yep. for fast writes and fast, fast reads as well. We could have the equivalent of a near-line disk mid-zone, yep. and then we could have an archive zone at the end of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And then have the device copy data from one bit to another? The device itself could um, do peer-to-peer -peer internal copying. So you could you know, consider um, as you write stuff into the active area and it becomes inactive, if you can trigger it from the host, you could tell the device to move that, that data to within itself. And then rather than read to the host and read back out again, which is an overhead, significant, bringing it back to memory in the host and back, you could use the onboard stuff, a bit like the computational storage guys are trying to do, they're trying to create usage for the, the compute that's on that device. Maybe that's one use case for it. Computational storage was another aspect of the show. And during the show, we, we heard that NGD, a computational storage supplier, has almost, it seems, 
being headed towards going bust. Yeah, they weren't here, were they? They weren't here. Three founders, we found three founders had left and there was a funding problem. And yet at the same time, another one, Scaleflux, said, we've had a good year despite the pandemic and we've taken our FGPA-based CSD to 2,000 device and yep. brought out a Gen 3 with an ASIC, which is smaller, faster, better. Yep. They're doing well. And they say their their idea of doing compression, encryption, and basic things like that on the disk is resonating well with their customers. Yeah, I think Scaleflux and Plyops are the two vendors that are trying to basically do something a bit more intelligent rather than just helping you understand uh, whether you've got a cat in a picture like a lot of the computational storage um, examples were early on. And I think as a result, they've realized that you need to pick something that actually makes sense. So both of them sort of are looking at it and saying, we're going to help you reduce the, the you know, the usable, usable capacity, we're going to comp- compress. or you know, increase sort of endurance. In- increase endurance. And basically, we're going to make better use of the technology you've bought. So it's, it's a significant cost play as much as it is anything else, to be honest. Um, as a good example with the ply-up stuff, they point out that if you look at a traditional SSD, as you fill that SSD up, the um, performance of it can drop. So, of course, a lot of people will say, well, we're never going to fill them more than, say, 50%, 60% full. They're saying that they claim that they can allow you to run up to 100%. So all of these things become cost multipliers that help you save save money and justify putting in their technology. And I think as a, a market play, that's a very clever move to come to the market offering something that reduces your cost rather than trying to come up with something that's a bit novelty like some of the other computational storage stuff is. Scaleflux CEO told me that they've paid a lot of attention to making sure their device is enterprise ready. Yeah. It's not, he wouldn't say that the NGD device was compute consumer class, but nor would he agree that it was enterprise class as well. Right. He said there needed to be an ecosystem, a layer of software, a degree of quality to the device to make it usable by enterprises from day one. And he's confident that they've got that. Yeah. The... Um, Solidine brought out a client PC, a P41 Plus, and they also say that they've countered the fresh out-of-the-box drop-off okay. by having host software called Synergy, which takes a look at what data is passing to the SSD, what its type is, and then passes information to the firmware on the SSD to control of them, treat IOs like this in one way, treat IOs like this in a different way, and that way, they say, they can organize things so the CRDs, the SSD's performance is consistent right. to 75% fall, perhaps even larger than that fall, before it starts dropping off. Interesting. So I, I spoke to the standards body, so I spoke to the NVMe people, I spoke to the SCSI Trade Association, um, and the reason I mentioned that before going on to discuss what you just said there is because one of the things that came out of that discussion was that they mentioned... Uh, a lot of new features that are going into their devices and support for hyperscalers because the hyperscalers want the ability to have more control over the device itself. Now, what you're just implying there is that that's what Solidime's doing, possibly independently. For everybody. But could be for everybody, where you know, there's some a degree of software that's helping to manage the way that the, the data is written to the device. That seems to be a theme I think we're seeing more and more that uh, certainly that happened with hard drives and, and with ZNS, the zone name um, space technology. And I think we're seeing it more and more that both starting with the hyperscalers, don't know whether it will make it to the enterprise as much, but they want more control over that device so they can actually manage it more effectively. 
one, one of the hyperscalers present here was, was Meta, Facebook yes, as well. Yes, they were, weren't they, yeah. And while in the outside general IT world, Facebook is seen as, how should I empire. put it, the evil <laughs> empire. <laughs> All praise to his lordship, Zuck. You can just hear now the Star Wars. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the Darth Vader of the yeah, social... Exactly. <laughs> within, the, within this conference, Meta is seen as a force for good, yeah. a profound force for good, because it comes out with these standards, with these requirements for exquisitely good hardware yeah. in terms of power draw, cost, capacity, and other aspects of this stuff. And the Meta people... We're walking around like people on top of the world here. Yeah. They're, they are re- being revered is a little bit too much, but it's certainly well respected here. Yeah, well, if they could force choke you, couldn't they? So, you know, don't do as they tell you. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They, they, they seem to have been here a number of years doing that. And I think it's very interesting to see how some of that technology gets to, dealt with within those companies and then they effectively almost give it away, you know, to a certain degree, don't they? They, they could care less in a, in a sense. But at the same time, there's something noble about Facebook's OCP effort because it's yeah. not just benefiting Facebook. Facebook has realized, Meta, sorry, has realized that if they can provide an OCP standard, which other enterprises adopt as well, then that will make the suppliers adopt it and it will drive everybody's costs down. Absolutely. It makes complete sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so anything else? So as we wrap up here, Chris, anything else you can think you enjoyed about the, the conference other than obviously my company? <laughs> I, I only come to this show to meet Chris Evans. Yeah. The rest of the people, they just provide coffee and hums in there the background. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I, got, I got the sense this is, this is a vibrant industry. Yeah. There's, it's not a mature industry. And it's an industry that's moving from just churning out one year 176 layer product to next year 232 layer product. Just these significant but relatively minor incremental increases to actually producing different iterations of kit, different types of kit all the time. The, yeah. the width of vendors here, the breadth of them, the depth of them, the amount of information passing on, just the amount of effort going into all this is really stupendous. It's a vibrant industry and it's making flash storage memory storage much much better than it used to be absolutely right okay well so will you come again absolutely Absolutely. excellent well you know if i don't see you before which i'm sure i probably will i'll see you here next year but for now chris safe travels thank you yes you too you've been listening to storage unpacked for show notes and more subscribe at storageunpacked.com follow us on twitter at storage unpacked or join our linkedin group by searching for storage unpacked podcast You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.